welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. My name is Brett Schaefer. I am joined, as always, by Ryan Henderson, and this is the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour, although it is alcohol-free. So, you know, we may be misleading people with the name there, but on these episodes, we talk about really whatever we want in investing. could be investing-related, could be philosophy-related, could be earnings-related, although we're not in earnings season right now. Really anything. Today, we got Monster Energy trying to buy Bang Energy at a bankruptcy, kind of a savvy move there. I think the big topic is going to be the shakeup in the social media landscape with Instagram launching a competitor to Twitter. I have some stuff on Amazon cost cutting on Prime, uh, a Toyota potential electric battery breakthrough, and some other things uh, that we might get to if we have time. But Ryan, how are we feeling today? We're in the lull before the storm of earnings season. And maybe when we resume the banking panic, but TBD on that front. I know it's, uh, I feel like we've said that for the last month here. So we got to energize listeners. We can't That's keep right. saying it's a lull. The, well, uh, it, we it, this is the, this is the most, I will say this is the most boring time of the year. End of June for investing, beginning of July. No one, there's nothing. No one's doing anything, but I think we have some fun topics today. Try to keep the people entertained. Yeah, we do. It is kind of, I haven't even checked the portfolio this morning, but it feels a little like everyone's just gotten bored for a little bit. 100%. Uh, I mean, we've read this throughout history when we read, read about kind of the Great Depression or the Roaring Twenties. Remember when they would basically go from like 4th of July to Labor Day, the market would just be almost paused, but it would still be open. And then they'd be like, oh, actually, let's start the panic after Labor Day when everyone gets back from summer. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, people go outside still, which is good. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been it's been okay. I've been less like been we've been swamped with more podcast stuff than like investing yeah. stuff, I guess, lately. So a little update on us personally. Um, which has made it so I guess I haven't been as tied into the world of investing, but still keeping eyes on it. And there was something that was pretty interesting this week. I guess it was last week around monster potentially buying bang. Um, So I'll launch right into that unless you have anything else you want to say. Well, the biggest news of the week is that I changed my setup again. We're about 80% there. (laughs) I need need a light. I need a light. That's better. And then I think we'll be good, but I've changed to the standing desk. So huge update. I think that's what everyone needs to know about. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the listeners clamor for that update every week. Um, so Monster, which for those that don't know, is the best performing stock since the year 2000 in the US, Like, and it is not close. So um, they have just done a phenomenal job. And it's really one where I think reading, studying that business, even if it doesn't provide Monster-like returns from here on out, is a really good 
case study for how a simple business can just have remarkable returns on capital. Um, we did a show on them a couple months we ago. Did. So go check that out. And it's also one that maybe I think demonstrates how tough it is or how tough it can be to be a buy and hold type investor. For uh, There were some, the guy that had won the Value Investors Club best write-up of the year or whatever, which is, uh, I think was a little more prestigious back then. Maybe it's still pretty prestigious. Um, wrote a short report on Monster in 2006. And it was pretty convincing. And if you well, read it, you're like, it yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It worked, right? In the short run, at least. Uh, for a year or so. I think it was. I don't yeah. know. I'll, I'll look up the stock chart to see if he actually made good returns. Well, I'm not. You may want to check, double check the date too on that write up because it might not have been exactly 2006. But it's easy to look back on that and say like, oh, what a fool. But he, I mean, he was a really good investor and he had a lot of winners other than that. So I don't know. It just, I guess the, it's really kind of mind boggling how big monster has gotten during this time. Um, anyway, so the last week they announced that they might be buying bang energy and for reference, 10 months ago, monster sued the owners of bang energy, which is the, the parent company is called vital pharmaceuticals. By the way, I recommend looking up a picture of the bang energy CEO. It's, it's exactly well, what you think you'd look like. The, I heard that he also wouldn't give up ownership to the Instagram. Did you see that? No. He can't. He apparently will not give up the login account to the Bang Instagram. I, I think uh, he, he he used to enjoy putting photos on there with certain individuals. With he was an interesting guy. Let's just put it like that. Yeah. Anyway, so they oh they they sued Vital Pharmaceuticals, owner of Bang Energy, over false advertising claims, and they won. Monster was awarded $293 million shortly after Vital Pharmaceuticals, parent company of Bang Energy, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought that was the end of Bang Energy. Last week, however, it was announced that Monster is now trying to buy Bang Energy out of bankruptcy for $362 million. Originally, they were waiting for approval from the FTC. But three days ago, the FTC announced that they were terminating their merger review process early, basically saying, you know, uh, we don't see any problems here. So it looks like the deal is going to go through. For reference, Bang has an estimated market share still of about 3%, to anywhere from 3 to 5%. Monster has north of 30%. 
So, and Red Bull is still technically the largest, I believe, in the US. And so, if you combine Bang plus Monster plus what's the other one they have under their Rain, I think Rain um, and one other Nas. I can't remember Nas, yeah. I think they they become the largest. They they become the market leader after this. Um, for reference, so they they they're buying them for three hundred sixty two million dollars. Bang Energy had an estimated private market valuation of. Now this is estimated based on, I think some I think it was like Axios or someone just basically took their market share versus Celsius's and said if you apply the same multiple that kind of thing, it would be a private market valuation of ten billion dollars last year. So they have Monster is buying Bang for. Pennies, pennies on the dollar, really. Well, and if you believe, uh, if you believe that, no, I mean it could be poorly run or whatever. But if you just lock it into Monsters Distribution System, I think the, you've probably got a really well-run business. And it's still three percent to five percent market share. I mean that that in the energy drink category, that run properly can be worth well north of three hundred. 60 million dollars yeah might not be 10 billion or at least not anytime soon because you know celsius there's some ardent fans i guess of the stock it's at a premium valuation and really that's because it's done so well but yeah i mean it's earned it for sure i'm a celsius i'm a celsius fan now i'm i'm an addict oh boy how many a day one a day. Uh, it, it depends on my coffee intake. I'm still a coffee first, but if I like limit my coffee, you know, if I don't have that much, I'll I'll take a I'll drink a Celsius before a workout later in the day. We gotta but, check your heart rate during the show, Ryan. That's a lot of coffee and Celsius. That's a lot of. Uh... I hear. I know. I, I should probably limit my caffeine intake, but here we are. So these these shows they're they're tiresome. You know, it's. <laughs> Can't be going That's all true. day without the caffeine. Yeah, recording a podcast. Well, I mean, I'm standing up now, so it's basically a workout. True. The yeah, I mean, Monster Energy. Look, time and time again, they're just run really well. There's not really much to discuss with them because they buy assets in the energy drink space or anything kind of adjacent that they try to explore. Sometimes when the price is right, they have a good model you know, for like, they just run a very simple marketing playbook and they put it into the distribution, which again is actually, I think a lot of the times Coca-Cola's distribution, if I'm remembering our research correctly. And then the energy drink category grows. The, they adapt to new things, you know, with sugar-free and stuff like that. And they raise prices along with inflation and they print money. It's a pretty simple model. It's very similar to soda as people are probably well aware. I think the CPG food space, especially, along with tobacco, tobacco plus food, or let's widen it out, nicotine plus food in the CPG space is a very attractive place to hunt for stocks. A lot of these stocks typically trade at like 30 times earnings, but I think they're ones you want to keep on the watch list. And when you know, depending on each situation is different when it gets to an attractive price, then yeah, it's like, it's one of those where it's really, really hard to lose money if you buy at the right price. Yeah. I look at monster and every time I think, wow, it's a really good, 
you know, that's a really good case study of, of how you could have gotten good returns, but it, that's all in the past now. Yeah, I wonder 100%. if I would have said that in 2012, 10 years ago, and the returns have been great. And I mean, I think they still have room to expand the product. They have room to add new products and really expand the category as a whole. I'm wondering if I'm going to be kicking myself in 2030 for her saying the same thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's run its course. It's, it's at saturation. Cause I mean, they still grow volumes deals like this. It might not seem that big initially, but if they can sort of reinvigorate the bang crowd, because bang was in some ways, it kind of felt like Celsius before Celsius without the health stuff. Yeah. But it was exciting. A little viral. They had some, like I said before, interesting social media posting strategies to attract the target demographic of these drinks, which is young males. Yeah, and there was, and it I worked. Mean, it, it, worked quite, it worked really well. Yeah, it wasn't quite as, I guess, health centric as Celsius tries to advertise, but the whole like creatine label, which was ended up being false, I think ended up making people think it was like healthy or like a yeah. good workout drink, even though it's just pure caffeine um i don't know i mean i wonder if monster is kind of one where you just stick in your coffee can portfolio and don't look for a while yeah i mean we go back and forth on this right i think from our point of view at least our strategy and again strategies evolve it's one where you put on the watch list and you wait for that small moment where Either the overall market's crashing or whatever, where it actually starts trading at a cheap price. Because again, all we learn if you didn't learn this over the last three years, you need to have a margin of safety on price. All right. We have some comments here. Firm return says evening, gentlemen. He's in the UK. Uh, I should note that we went on his podcast, which was very fun. Uh, it's called Firm Returns. He does a great newsletter as well. It's free, covering some really niche stuff. If anyone likes and enjoys that, we cover Nintendo on that podcast. Go check it out. Then we have a fun question from, this is a good name, Mr. Dapper Capper. Uh, great name. So whoever had that. What are your thoughts on consolidation in the media industry? What are your thoughts on the risk return of Paramount Global as it is selling off non-core assets potentially in preparation for a sale? Yeah, I mean, that one's interesting. It seems like someone will buy it out for a higher price maybe than today. You know, Buffett was in this one. I think he might still be. So it's it's interesting for sure, but the risk is that left on its own Paramount probably dies right ryan like it's it's it they're not in a good i haven't really looked at it enough to be honest but i just don't like i don't like anyone that's having to kind of reinvent themselves in the streaming world or like 100 i'm not a fan of companies that have to make the transition from linear to streaming because the subscribers are fickle and churn is substantially higher than you got with the cable operators. So, and Apple and just, Amazon don't care about economics. Yeah. And you're competing with a totally different, uh, like set of competitors. 
and YouTube grows share every year. So your, your pie is shrinking versus competitors like YouTube. The only one I would buy at the right price. And I came to this conclusion now, which unfortunately, which we can't do this. We both have basically come to this conclusion, I think, which we came to this conclusion a year ago, is Netflix is just better than everyone at executing, at their strategy, at understanding how this business works. And the price probably doesn't make much sense to me today uh, from a buying perspective. But look, how, how are you going to... That's the only one I would buy, but obviously at the right price. It, don't yeah, bang your head against the wall with these things. Like, I know. Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you you can see like what, the kind of impact it has on a company like Disney. Hundred percent. It's really. I don't know. It's just for when looking. There's at me, easier. There are easier investments to make. Yeah. Okay. For example, uh, we don't own it anymore. We have followed very close, and we have owned it for a, a long time. Um, the one I compare. And we do this comparison when looking at any media type thing is, would I rather own this stock, say this like Paramount Global, or would I rather own Electronic Arts, which is not high growth. We don't own it anymore. By the way. That's what I said. Yeah, we don't own it anymore. Um, but we still like the business. Uh, I would love to own it at the right price. If like it, that, the moat there is so much better than a lot of these companies. They generate cash every year. And I don't like that's my hurdle, right? For those businesses, like I would much rather go hunting in the video game space than these media companies, or than you know the the video entertainment companies. What do you think? I mean, I don't love anyone that's trying to compete on streaming. That's kind of subscale, basically anything other than Netflix. YouTube's different, but anything other than Netflix, I don't really want to try to figure that out because like I said, it feels like uncertain there, there's investments where I think you can get a similar return, but there's not as much risk of the, you know, failing to adopt users with video games. I used to think, yeah, I just want to own the great publishers, but I'm starting to feel well, over the last few years that we've been investing in video games. The one thing I've learned is it's hard to invest in video games because they're very unpredictable. And then, and maybe not on necessarily the- Except EA. Well, I don't know. If I told you in 2019 that FIFA, their largest franchise, is going to going to grow 10% at least every year for the next four years, and in the final year, it's going to grow 30% bookings, and cash flow is going to be down for the overall business, I, I would have been very surprised. But- those AAA titles, talent is so expensive. It's becoming harder. I mean, it's becoming more competitive because there are, I, I think the building blocks for indie developers are making it so that, you know, other companies can compete for time spent. You don't need the big, you know, huge developer teams. Now, if you yeah. want to build a huge title, like, you know, Battlefield or Call of Duty or FIFA, yeah, you're going to, I mean, it's going to be costly, but you're competing for time spent, not necessarily on a single game. So I don't, I mean, and maybe that's just been bad management from EA or bad cost management, but it feels like it's becoming more and more costly to maintain your position in the video game space. Mm, yeah. 
But I also say that you could flip that and say it insulates people from the competition where none of the big tech companies have had, they've all tried to make games and none of them have had success organically, which I think is a great sign that there are moats here. But yes, it does come down to, well, the moat can be strong, but at what price of the future cash flow are we paying? It might've been lower than we thought. Um, I guess my... Forex. My point is like be, yes. Okay. Forex could be affecting that in a short run, but it is obviously a concern. A lot of these, the cash flow that these businesses haven't compounded at the rate that the same rate as bookings. There has been and some margin compression. The other thing is, okay, you're, yes, it's really hard to compete with FIFA for the FIFA users or all these games. I mean, no, none, none. We're not talking sports titles that these people, but I yeah, FIFA, obviously. Sure. Yeah, but you're still competing with mobile titles you're still competing with anywhere else that people spend their time really if you know if there's less even on a especially in a live services world if they're spending less time on your game you're probably going to have less bookings so yeah. and i think i think even though it takes tons and tons of talent to build a game that's comparable to any of those huge titles you can build a fall guys quickly or you can build a I mean, Fortnite probably took some complexity. Uh, what's the other one with like the cars and the soccer ball? Rocket League. Rocket League. These are like, I think that was Epic Games, but there's indie titles. There's indie developers that can now compete a lot more effectively for time spent where they maybe wouldn't have been able to 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, somewhat. But I mean, time spent on across all the publishers seems to be growing, at least over the long term. Maybe not Activision Blizzard as they've had some struggles, but EA always highlights that time spent is growing. Well, it's a bummer that cash flow isn't. <laughs> Ryan hates that. So Ryan is so peeved at EA management. I mean, it's insane. Sell. It's it's honestly insane. Cash flow is down over the last five years, four years, and uh, their major titles are much bigger. Like, yeah, and it's not, they're not, and investing their CEO in, gets paid 30 million a year to do that. Yeah. And they're not investing that much more into RD. RD, which again, RD is just game development. RD is up, but a lot of it is these SGNA expenses, which probably can be, or they, or it's acquired. Like they acquired uh, RD headcount through the mobile acquisitions or random acquisitions but yeah i i, I don't know they started doing layoffs six <laughs> percent layoff in march maybe there's something yeah i think they maybe realized that i think it was a classic i mean we've talked about it constantly for the last year a lot of these companies realized that they overhired and they didn't realize it until they overhired for her, maybe like a full year and that really hurt margins across the board and speaking of which, overhiring, that happened at Meta as well. So why don't you talk about this next topic, Ryan? Yeah, this is fun. I, I titled it Zuck versus Musk cage match heating up, but it's not the actual cage Good. match. So <laughs> there was there was some talk, I guess, about them having a wrestling match, which I thought was kind of hilarious, but I don't think anything's come of it yet. However, the real cage match. Is Facebook versus Twitter. So for those that don't know, last week, Twitter, more likely Elon Musk, 
introduced some new rules that non-verified users can only look at 600 tweets a day. Verified users can look at 6,000. 600 tweets, if you spend a lot of time on Twitter, you can pile through 600 tweets pretty quick. I'm going to say bragging. Haven't hit my haven't hit my threshold. So I haven't, but I imagine there are some days when I would when have. You would have. Yeah, me, me too. It was apparently meant to prevent data scraping. So I guess something, and I, I'm not as familiar with this side of things, but apparently they have like some API that they tried to raise prices on and then to avoid like some of the companies that were using the API to avoid it or the generative AI companies that were trying to scrape data off Twitter by just looking over a bunch of different tweets. They That's kind of the data scraping process and they wanted to limit that or they wanted to push people to use the API or whatever, um, which they raised the price on by limiting the amount of tweets someone can like look at in a day. However, it kind of, in my opinion, ruins the experience a little bit for like just the normal user. What were well, your people, thoughts? People get upset. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What were your thoughts when you saw this announcement? Well, I got to be honest, it was 4th of July weekend. And uh, what was this on Saturday? I don't know. I was prepping something. Uh, I honestly didn't see it until like Monday. So, but when I saw it, yeah, I mean, it's a poor business decision for sure. Uh, They mentioned that it wouldn't affect the financials that much or like advertisers wouldn't, there wouldn't be that many less advertising impressions, but you're really angering your users, which I don't think is smart, right? And especially right when, as you're about to lead into, Instagram's going to launch a competitor right when your core power users are getting angry at you. Well, something I found is all the other changes that have been made to Twitter since Elon stepped in haven't really affected me that much. Like it hasn't really changed my habits on Twitter. This one actually did because now I'm kind of spending, I'm spending a little less time because I don't want to go on there and like, you're worried about hitting the threshold. Yeah, hit my threshold. Then a whole bunch of stuff comes up later on. I can't look at it or I got to subscribe or whatever. And it just feels like, I, you know, like I don't want to waste it right now. And so it's actually like, it's limited the time that I've been on there. Now, and I, I think maybe that's, so it's actually changed my actions and I'm just like a normal user. I imagine some other people are in a similar boat where it's like, they don't really want to hit the threshold. Maybe it's prohibiting them from wanting to hop on and spend as much time on there. Facebook comes out this week and says they've announced a new product called Threads. It says Threads offers a new separate space for real-time updates and public conversations. Um, posts can be up to 500 characters long and include links, photos, and videos up to five minutes in length. Basically, it's it's very much a direct competitor to Twitter. Now, the bummer here is that you have to sign in with an Instagram account, which I kind of wish they didn't do that. So if you don't have an Instagram, you have to make one. Oh, we um, hate that. We hate, you know. Yeah. That let, let's get those, off, let's get those uh, MAU numbers up, right? That's literally the only reason I did this is to get juice, juice user numbers. I yeah. Mean, that it's honestly to. a little frustrating just as someone that like, if you're trying to capture the Twitter audience, you probably, of, wanna, you probably want to pick the people that aren't 
that you probably want to make it accessible to the people that aren't on Instagram. A hundred percent. And yeah, Twitter and Reddit are kind of in a similar boat where there's a lot of anonymous accounts. And I, I made the, again, we, we talk about this all the time for social stuff and any sort of media stuff where the relationship George thing from Seinfeld explains so much of it. You have to separate your, you know, your social, whatever social George, which is Twitter and Reddit. And a lot of these anonymous accounts versus the relationship, George, which would be Instagram, the the thing you put on for your family and friends. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Apparently, Facebook was planning to launch this later, but because of Twitter's recent move, they expedited that process and shipped the product a little earlier. It's only a mobile app right now. Um, Really? Do you think? Yeah, I looked online and I kind of, all it is is just a QR code to download it on your phone. Um, They know how to juice engagement. Yeah, these guys are good. They're good. Do you think that moving this process forward, speeding it up, and I guess launching this product was a good move for Facebook? I think so, for sure. They're really, they're good. They're good at getting people to engage with these things. They know how to diabolically get you stuck on these things. So yes, I would look, this is okay. Two things I think I was thinking about as I saw your notes here, maybe we'll hit this one first. Okay. Twitter has never been run optimally. I read the bio, the business biography on Twitter up until I think it was published in like 2014, 2015. It was run terribly up until then. And it's still got a bunch of users. Dorsey ran it while he was high on. Okay, we don't need to say anything. He was high, he was high on life. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, you know he, he's an interesting guy, and he didn't seem to be really focused on improving things that mattered. He was just focused on Bitcoin. Musk buys it, and we've all seen what happens in the last couple of months here. Uh, obviously, not optimal. Although the notes feature seems great, unless they unless he makes his own notes about. Tesla products, which I find frustrating. Um, so I think this type of app, which is the global communications, written communications as its base, easily has a chance to be much bigger. Why is it in as big as an Instagram, you know, with over a billion users? I don't, I don't understand why. And it seems like it's because the ownership of Twitter has been so poor. The app doesn't work very well. I mean, it constantly doesn't work as well as any of the other big tech stuff. So yeah, I think that. What do you think on that? And then I have another question uh, or a topic I, I'd want to discuss regarding Twitter's moat. Yeah, I mean, 
I've, I've thought kind of all along, like, how do you get, how do you monetize it properly? It's not really a great platform for ads, in my opinion. So I don't think you can run it. That's a, Zuck's going to take that challenge and shove it right down your throat though. Probably. Maybe that's why they're trying to integrate it with Instagram, which feels like a really good platform for it. And it's frankly, a threads is like kind of weirdly intermingled with Instagram in some ways. Um, But yeah, we gotta, we gotta stop that. We gotta stop. (laughs) We gotta stop that. I've always thought there was room for a subscription. If you were able to add value in some ways, maybe it's like a news bundle for Twitter or something. And, and he's been He's been trying that with the subscription products. The That's a good we, verification. We it, yeah, we did it for the the CCM account. But with verification, you don't really get that much like added functionality. You apparently, get the ability to edit tweets. You can put some stuff in bold font. Apparently, you get promoted to more people to follow you, which I guess technically we've seen an uptick. So, but that's something that's very hard to quantify. I mean, you get to edit tweets for like thirty seconds. And then come back and maybe do it, but that's really not that useful. Uh, I don't. I, I find it annoying, honestly, that it waits thirty seconds to publish. I just hit the send now thing. I mean, yeah, the value there is not very strong, but the, there could be a subscription offering for sure. But I doubt Meta will do that. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think Twitter's botched it. I don't think Elon's really done that well. I'm pretty sure the the business is smaller than it was before he was there so on a revenue basis yeah what it feels like everything he's done has been to basically reduce costs restructure the cost the cost base and a lot of that was i think it was like 70 percent of the staff was laid off um they're not paying their google cloud bills they they, well i think they weren't paying rent for a while google Um, came in and kind of said hey yeah we they brought their they're paying now apparently. But. Oh, all right. Um, and now they've uh, apparently this was to p- prevent having to pay for server space for a bunch of generative AI companies. I get that. Like, though. I don't. I get I, that part. That makes sense. But I don't know. It's like it, it kind of ruins the experience for normal users. So yeah, we'll do it. It's a tough yeah. business to run. He probably shouldn't have acquired it. I think he's got a whole bunch of debt holders that may end up on, owning the company here at some point. Yeah, you have a question here that says, "Could this be the final nail in the coffin in Twitter?" That comes up with my second discussion question here, which is, I would actually flip that around, and if Twitter, as mismanaged as it is, survives this moat test from the best social media company in the world, then I think this thing is never going to die. Unless it literally gets run so poorly that it just actually dies. Yeah. I mean, I, I still go to Twitter. It's still got a, I, I think the one reason I keep going back the most is it's got the network effect. There's so many users that are already there that it's the place I want to be. It's where I, I, we kind of have a literal network there where that's where we find guests. I and mean, when we use it all the time, I, I keep coming back, even if the platform gets worse and worse. I have to keep coming back. So I, th- I think, yeah, they do still have a moat. Maybe there's the chance that honestly, this incentivizes me to pay. And I've always like, I think just because it was free and now Twitter's charging potentially to 
essentially use the app a lot, people are going to be upset. But it's no different than like old school media publications, which is functionally what Twitter kind of is today. It's just real time news. Should you? Yeah. I'm not opposed to having to pay for that kind of thing. I was even thinking of paying for our personal accounts, like pitching that. I mean, head on the back burner. Like, it seems like it provides enough value for us. We're in a little bit of a unique situation because it is one of our biggest distribution uh, areas, the biggest distribution area for our top of funnel. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think we need to revisit this in a couple of months because there's always the Twitter competitors that hop on. We talked about Substack Notes. I got caught in the hype there. Nah, not going to do it. Let's see how big Twitter th- or Instagram threads are. Maybe Elon knows like what he's a, doing. Maybe this is a business that's impossible to kill. I think it might be. It just, here's the thing. They'd be generating good amount of cash if he didn't alienate all the advertisers with this weird conspiracy theory stuff that he does. Right? Am I crazy? No, nah, I think you're right. We do have an, okay. an interesting question here in the chat. Do you see that one? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was going to hit that. Uh, it says, do you still feel confident in your investment in Spotify over the major music labels after your discussion with Sleepwell Capital? How do you think through that analysis? You want to take this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated industry. There's there's a lot of variables that are at play, but I'd say nothing has changed. And in fact, this is one where Spotify's, let's say, leverage as it grows is only going to grow over the labels each year. So as its users grow, as its engagement grows, is only going to grow each year. And the relationship with the labels is, is much, much better than it has been in the past. They are currently, I can say this with confidence, just reading through the tea leaves of what Eck has said on conference calls and on Twitter, they are negotiating for better um, take rates on their price increases, which is why they haven't raised prices yet, is they're kind of probably finalizing those negotiations with all the labels. They're adding on a ton of new valuable stuff. I mean, they, you've probably seen this, Ryan, as a Spotify user as well. They keep putting those concert stuff, the ticket stuff, the merch stuff in much more better places, which is a way for these artists to earn a lot more money. I mean, they're providing way, way more value to the artists these days than, well, maybe not more than the labels, but the value Spotify provides to the artists compared to five years ago is much higher and should grow over the next five years. So that part of the uh, dynamic of the Spotify business is not a concern for me. I'm curious to hear your thoughts that there are concerns, which is basically wasting money (laughs) (laughs) on, uh, on deals with Meghan Markle. But what are your thoughts? Um, I do still feel confident that Spotify will be a more important business in the music industry over the next five to 10 years. And I think it'll actually expand the music industry the way it has been over the last five to 10 years. I would also say that I don't really think about the investment in Spotify as should I own Spotify or the labels? Uh, Spotify is going to grow the entire music pie and streaming generally is going to grow the entire music pie. They finally surpassed their 2001 highs, I believe, in terms of industry music revenue. Not inflation adjusted, but yeah, nominally. So yes, I'm still confident that the business is sound and that the platform will be more important in five to 10 years. However, I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little less excited on the investment side than I was maybe three or four months ago, just because the stock's up a hundred percent in like the last yeah. year to date. So 
Although uh, the business has shown they've had some really strong quarterly performance, but obviously, you know, hundred percent. There is the some stuff. Price. Don't get me wrong. There's some stuff that pisses me off about the management team. They don't, maybe they just saw it as an investment period. They went full force into it and burned a lot of, wasted a lot of money. But the th- I guess that one of the things that irritates me is they always brag about, or one of the recent quarterly letters, they're like, we've been, we've generated cash flow for each of the last three years. Yeah, or it's, neg- like, it's negligible. And yeah, I mean, at least they're and, not. And it's down if you include stock based compensation. Yeah. Like SBC is just growing and they're like, yeah, right, right, right. Cash flow has been flat for the last three years. I'm like, that's awesome. Okay. Also, well, they have a working capital advantage. Now, I think the working capital advantage is not something to scoff at, but that is a reason they generate cash. Is, and it's also a reason, probably my biggest low light for, for the labels. Well, maybe not the biggest because there is that existential risk of the democratization of music distribution. But the, yeah, the labels don't have a, they have a working capital disadvantage because Spotify holds the funds for 90 days. I I do like that because it gives Spotify a lot more optionality to invest. Um, It's not a huge part of the business, but yeah, that cash flow stuff they brag about is annoying. Um, But yeah, the music stuff, I don't think anything has really changed. And in fact, it should steadily rule in Spotify's favor as they continue growing, especially here. Here's what's interesting. They're not going to make that much money on these emerging markets compared to North America. Um, say like in India, you know, they get 200 million users or 300 million users if they really execute well over the next five years, something like that. I mean, they're not going to be worth nearly as much as the 50 to 70 million users that are in the United States. But to the artists who are going to do a tour in India, and get three or four live shows, I mean, that's an incredible amount of value for growing your global brand. So I think the value they provide artists is only going to grow. And really the way to track that is just, are they continuing to grow subscribers? And are they continuing to grow their total user base? Um, Yeah, another comment basically around Spotify's place in the competitive landscape. It says... Kids use YouTube, not Spotify. Kids have YouTube accounts. Free Spotify is horrible. There are a lot of people that don't like Spotify. I get that, but they've said that for the last five years and they just grow. So I mean, it's it's been Apple's given away Apple Music basically for free. Um, YouTube basically giving away YouTube Music for free. Amazon Music basically giving away Amazon Music for free, or at least at a huge discount to what Spotify offers, and now Spotify is over half a billion users versus like 150 million users four or five years ago. So the business just continues to grow. I don't, I used to care a lot more about the competitive set, but Spotify, they have a playbook for attracting users and converting them to subscribers and it works really well. So no, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about that. He also but asked you, though, YouTube is a the big, I mean, YouTube is the one competitor to watch though. Yeah, I guess own own Google too. Uh, do you think Nintendo is trading at or below fair value? Uh, I would or? say, yeah, um, I would reference you to one, either that episode we did with firm returns. So again, if you're still on, thanks for joining. Uh, we did, we covered Nintendo there. We also did, if you look back through our feed, um, 
we did a show on Nintendo, what was it, three months ago, maybe two months ago? I would really talk about that. We do still own it, full disclosure. Like, we can't just say buy something because it's undervalued. Now, I'd really look at our analysis on that. We have a write up again on the Substack as well. So look at that. And we give all the risks in that as well. Because I, I really hate saying, look, I think it's undervalued for blank, 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 because there are risks of these things. And we always want to cover those as well. But yeah, I mean, look at the show, look at our holdings page. Yeah, we own it. I get. Yeah, I mean, there is, and the stock, I guess, is up a little bit. So, yeah, and I said own Google too. Not actually. I mean, we own it, so not investment advice. But I will say, yeah. I mean, YouTube, YouTube probably not going to have the hugest, like the biggest impact on Google's stock overall. Um, a lot of a lot of good comments in here. People saying they love the podcast. Yeah, love that episode. I think Spotify has a lot of leverage to pull, and it's not necessarily winner take all. If you're on Spotify, I've been on Spotify for five years. Churns just continued to shrink and shrink for Spotify. I the pie is growing overall. YouTube can continue to expand and and. I mean, it's not explicitly a, a music offering. YouTube Premium also provides the ad-free videos, which I think is a really compelling value proposition. And they provide YouTube music for free, basically on top of YouTube Premium. All right, and so, I mean, the, I I think that is a pretty formidable competitor, if you want to call them that, but Spotify has grown in the face of that since YouTube Premium has been offered. Yeah. So uh, we got to me. We got a comment from Firm Returns, still use Spotify for podcasts, which I think does help when they consolidated that. It really helps for the distribution perspective because YouTube is still more of like a discovery thing, which is great. But for your actual feed of shows you follow, Spotify is a lot more helpful and cleaner. He says, still use Spotify for podcasts, just not sure they've made any money from me. Well, I know you listen to our show, so you made a tiny bit amount, but on their automated ad network, just for full, full disclosure, for anyone that wants some anecdotal evidence from us, we use them on some of our episodes. We'll probably use it for this one. It's a great little backup plan. But if you look at the rates they pay us and the impressions they get versus our listens and versus how many ads we put per episode, which I think is four, it's only, we only get ads on about, what, 10 to 20% of the actual slots that we have. So there's a ton of room for improvement there and they need to make more progress. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand necessarily the creator tools that Spotify provides. It's kind of, especially, I mean, most people look at it as the consumer facing product, but they do really provide a lot of value to both podcast creators and and even artists as well. As hundred percent. So. Yeah. That's the only gripe it really, I would really have, right. Is that like, look, versus the ad slots that we give them, they don't fill it nearly as much as we would like. But they're still doing a hell of a lot better than Apple Podcasts, though, because that is 100%. Apple Podcasts hasn't changed in 10 years. So, yeah, yeah, that is that is 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's really a YouTube versus Spotify race. And the people that started in podcasts, maybe if you started listening to podcasts, you know, seven years ago, you probably used Apple because Spotify didn't have podcasts at that point. But anyone new, I is anyone new to listening to podcasts going to go to Spotify or going to go to Apple? I I doubt it. And what's funny is that so many people use Apple devices. So it's, it's interesting how YouTube and Spotify just totally out executed them. 
I mean, Apple Podcast still gets their fair share of listens just because of the valuable real estate. It says I've never yeah. heard an ad listening to your podcast on Spotify. That is, <laughs> there we that go. Is that is that is yeah. I don't exactly think it's rolled out though to the UK. Or yeah, only maybe a couple European markets. So yeah, see, look, there's yeah, uh, yeah, there's a lot. So let's hit, let's hit another topic. We can't talk about this all day. We got 15 minutes left. I'm sure people get bored of this. I I know it's interesting. But why don't we hit? What about this Amazon cost cutting? Okay, you want to do that? Yeah. Good news. Yeah. If anyone is interested in following the media stuff, which I know one of the people listening right now is, I would definitely follow. You don't need a Bloomberg subscription for this. A little little hack is that a lot of their newsletters are actually free. Um, follow Lucas Shaw on Twitter. He's their media guy. Uh, look at the Screen Time newsletter. Get it every Sunday or this week. I think it was after the 4th of July. Um, but this week he had a tweet. Let me maybe I don't need to share it. He said basically Amazon CEO, which is Andy Jassy, asked the Hollywood studio to provide detailed analysis of budgets for some of its most expensive projects. In the newsletter, he writes about growing scrutiny on this stuff. Let's see if there's any fun fact here. Um Okay, so look, here, here's kind of the thing. He says that basically Amazon spends a lot on shows similar to how someone might spend at a Netflix or a HBO, but they do not get nearly the engagement as uh, Netflix. So, for example, The Peripheral, Daisy Jones and Six, Dead Ringers, and The Power, which have you heard of any of these, Ryan? No, I haven't heard of them either. They all cost each uh, over $100 million to produce. And they only collectively charted in the Nielsen top 10 in the United States for two weeks. And essentially, the Nielsen top 10 is dominated by Netflix. So it seems like Amazon needs to realize that their strategy cannot just be to copy Netflix and HBO here. They need to go a different route, maybe more sports, maybe more you know, live yeah. stuff, uh, cheaper stuff. Someone said they just need to turn themselves into the CBS of uh, streaming, you know, a lot of football, some some good filler, filler shows and realize they're that and they're not HBO. It is a little concerning, honestly, that. Jassy's like, hey, looks like you're losing us hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, just checked. Do you mind explaining <laughs> why? Like, yeah. Were you unaware hey, of this? There, here, to be fair, when he took over, there was there's a lot of divisions. So, still, I mean, come on. Like, I, I if you if you've got a hundred million dollar cash incinerator, I know Amazon's big, but you might want to take a look at it and be like. Is it worth the spend, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And I get that it's a, you know, a very complicated job, and you know, you have a lot of departments, but it is your job. And I don't know, this kind of doesn't. The headline does not uh, put Jassy in a great light. Yeah, I, I mean, it's better that he's doing this than not doing it. But look, I think it puts him in a good light because no one has talked about this until he got there. Because he was the he ran the only division at Amazon that's consistently profitable, Amazon Web Services. I think he's looking at these other divisions like, hey, like 
I ran this thing with a lot of employees and it still made money. Why can't we make money at these other places? Oh, wait, we're wasting a bunch of money on this Astro robot. Like, come on. But it's, it's, it's hard. I, I, the thing is they've talked a lot of big game on that, but the, the actual, it's been a lot of bark, no bite on the cost cutting. Right. Yeah, I mean, they have done a number of layoffs. It just, I wonder if there's anything here where it's like Bezos's baby. He wanted the influence. He wanted to be a part of that kind of group of people of Hollywood stars. And, oh, yeah. and they explicitly talk feels about that. like he yeah. can't necessarily just like cut it off. Yeah. They explicitly mentioned that in the second uh, Amazon business biography that covers like the 2013 to 20, say, kind of middle of the pandemic period. They explicitly said that people worried that that's all that Bezos was looking for. So maybe they do get worried about that. But I would hope eventually Jassy will, you know, back up all this talk about rationalizing costs. And there's always these quotes in these articles about the the VP of the studio praised the teams for a good job. And it's like, well, you're you're. No, you that's just a lie. <laughs> that's just frankly a lie. It's it's strange. Yeah, I don't know if it's a distribution problem or a content problem. My thought is that it's not a distribution issue because Prime Video has tons of people that watch it or it's basically that, free. That have I mean, the app. So it's I think of it as free because I not I'm not really I'm paying for delivery. Everyone knew what the Rings of Power was. Yeah, it was just, ran a bazillion ads, but it was not very good. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was a content issue. I, I think the. I think you're right that the right decision to move this studio forward is to go CBS of smart TVs. See, yeah, you know, content, like sports rights, stuff like that. I mean, they do a good job of Thursday night football. Yeah, people don't like that because it's. Like at the bars and stuff, they got to really figure that out for the the live audiences. But yeah, oh, all gosh. right. MLS is a nightmare with Apple TV. I don't know if it's a single bar that has it. That's right. Like you can't watch it anywhere except your actual house, right? Yeah, it's miserable. But whatever. Yeah, well, that happens with Friday Night Baseball for the local team <laughs> when it's on Apple TV Plus. People are like, yeah, baseball's all time bad. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about? We got a couple minutes left. Do you want to hit? Uh, here's one that a chart. Let me just share it with you so you can see these charts. It's about the booze economy. It's quite interesting. Okay. Sharing is loading. First one we got here. America's brewery boom. This is from Derek Thompson. Great follow on Twitter. Maybe we'll be saying threads soon. The number of breweries in the U.S. from 1976 to 2021. This is a chart. 1976, there was only 103. Then there was a boom in the 90s. I find it funny that these both booms of these uh, coincide with stock market bubbles. <laughs> and then there's a kind of flatlined. And then the last few years, it's boomed to over 9,000. Here's another chart. Total number of distilleries. Basically the same thing since 2001. It's boomed to over close to 1,500. Um, 
employment and all these is up a lot. Employment in distilleries. So, okay. The big takeaway is that there are more niche things out there or basically more investment in premium beer, wine, spirits in general. And that means like drinking is actually going down. So it seems like the premiumization of alcohol is going up. I think that's actually bodes well as that being another investment category to target. What do you think? Kind of toss that into the CPG brands because those can be very, very... I mean, I'm guessing you earn fantastic margins on these things, if, if it's if it's sold so. at the right if sold at the right price. I mean, I, not, the, not the wineries people. That's different. But like a good a good brand and spirits can be extremely profitable. That, yeah, but I also worry that this makes the alcohol category kind of uninvestable for yeah. public investors because most of the companies that are available are big beer manufacturers oh like, yeah yeah you know the sam adams the anheuser-busch they i mean they own a lot of i think they've started to buy up craft breweries i bet the economics on a single craft brewer if it's successful is probably pretty good but it means less people are probably attracted to the light beers right the what beers the light beers, the, I mean, like the. No, no the, this shows that the, the it's, I mean, there wouldn't be tenfold in distilleries and breweries if it was just going to more lighter beers. Hmm. Like I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying like more people are moving towards these like craft brewers. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you said the opposite. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. Doesn't it kind of make it harder to invest in this as a public market investor? Well, I would guess, yeah, not for those ones, but these premium brands that could be, you know, compounders and see steady growth and have really strong price and power, especially in the spirits category. I guess maybe they're not actually too many that are public, but it seems like an interesting investment idea. No, it feels like if craft brewery is becoming more and more competitive every year, we've seen the growth in the different craft brewers we're in seattle and there isn't like an absurd amount of just well, i think that's brewers. everywhere i mean it's everywhere it? when, yeah i mean look at that chart um wouldn't it doesn't it kind of drive you away from this area doesn't it kind of make you not want to be there as an investor well maybe not the breweries but i'm saying the like if you have a good brand in spirits spirits is probably number one wine's tough because a lot of people just do it as pet projects but beer is probably in the middle there. If you have a good brand, I mean, it's no different than the monster energy space. I mean, energy drinks are hyper-competitive, but when that good brand takes hold and has a good marketing strategy and has good pricing power because people attach to it, then I think there's opportunity. I and mean, there's been some really, really good growth in spirits from some certain brands, which I think is super interesting. Now, Diageo, or however you pronounce that. Diageo. Buying... Diageo, yeah. <laughs> I never could say that right. Uh, seems to buy up a lot of these things and maybe that's the way to invest in it. But I think spirits is quite interesting because again, like it's not winner takes all, but there's lots of pricing power and premium spirits. Yeah, I guess I could be off here. My thought here is the overall alcohol, number of people consuming alcohol or alcohol consumption is declining. Yeah, right? but the premiumization, that's what these charts show. Premiumization is going up. So people are willing to, they're drinking less, but they're willing 
to pay more for what when they actually have them. Interesting. Because there's no way that employment would fourfold. All because well, of that Bud Light ad. No, I, <laughs> I mean, that just helped Modelo, but that's interesting. Modelo's, yeah, I guess, number one, if anyone doesn't know. We have a final question here. Thoughts on Alibaba and China overall? I can answer those qu- quickly. We don't invest in China. Uh, Even we play, more so we, now. Yeah, I mean, it gets worse every every year. I mean, we play. we like to play we hope simpler games doesn't mean we're going to make money than harder games. I think investing in China is just bashing your head against the wall. There's a hundred other countries I can invest in that have better rules of law. The, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was, I think one of our early investing takes that ended up aging. Well, we had maybe a few, but <laughs> we had a lot, a lot of, that aged poorly, but that yeah. one I thought aged well, we, we thought it was too complicated. We thought there were some rules that made it tough to be an investor. We avoided it. And I think we've been better off because of it. Yeah. It's just, it's uh, like, it, they, they're going to look cheap. It's just. We the, China, don't like to... the China discount doesn't turn into a China premium. That's not like, it's not a discount if it always trades at a discount. Do you think they're going to be more favorable to businesses? In what world does that? Remember that DCF we saw where it was like I did my new Alibaba DCF and it was like cash flow every single year and then it was like fee paid to China government all of their cash flow. Yeah, oh yeah. You can just get fined or just pay it all back because it's, you know, everything you earn is for the government it makes it kind of tough. Yeah, or they have the right to do whatever they want. Um But yeah, it's okay, here's the best stat that I think just shows it. The stock market returns for the Shanghai index have been basically like really bad. It's like up 50% since the nineties versus the S and P 500 total return of like a thousand percent cumulative, but China's GDP has grown at a much better rate than their stock market returns. That either tells you one that they're lying about their GDP numbers, which there's a lot of evidence they are or two, the domestic product, the production of society is not going to the business owners. Why would I invest in a society where this, you know, as a stockholder, like you want a place where that favors business owners and rightly and or wrongly, have, rightly or wrongly, have, the US favors business owners. So it may have benefited society. That's more of like a political question. That's personal. Yeah. But as an investor, but we are investing. We are public company investors who have not been rewarded. Why should that change? Yep. All right. Well, that's a great way to end it. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Some fantastic questions today. And you can listen to these. Basically, there's a few people that tune in live. You can watch the replays on YouTube or listen on Sunday mornings on your favorite podcast player of choice. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or a recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you, everyone, again. And we'll see you next week.